You're listening to Click Here, the podcast that's taking the internet by storm. Click Here, hearing, not the herd. Today, guest interview, Tim Foyle. All right. Hello, everyone. This is Art Stimmel, and today we have a very special guest all the way across the pond, uh, Mr. Tim Foyle, who's written some very interesting articles. Tim, how are things going over there? Things are good. Thank you, Art. Well, that's good. Good to hear. Um, and I appreciate you taking the time out to do this interview and talk about some of the things that our society, our culture is being batted around with. And you've really got some cool articles on this. Where, where did it all start for you? Well, I'm, I've done a lot of music. That's been a lot of my life. And I've only really recently started to write seriously. I'm thinking of starting a podcast or something similar myself. Yeah, I mean, that's great. So you got a background where you came into this through the music genre, realizing writing. I, I liked what you said in one of your articles. It turns out that thinking leads to writing. Is that what you said? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's just that's my tagline on uh, on, my, <laughs> on my Substack page. Yeah, because I had I, some of these ideas on here. I'd had buzzing around in my head for so long. And, mm-hmm. I mean, it was so satisfying to like to have them received so well. It's been it's been great. But it's also a bit of a uh, seems like something to live up to. So I'm now I'm trying to write stuff that's as good as the last thing I wrote. You know, it's quite uh, it's like a little cocoon, isn't it? You know, and I mm-hmm. think to uh, step out of that into you're stepping into the world so i would invite anyone to do the same step outside if people if more people disconnected would they awaken is that the result i think i I think well it's like the cult you know that that is really the means of the cult that's that's the only thing that keeps people in the cult you know i mean we have i assume it's the same there in the last few years had um, you know you walk past people's houses now and you sit look in and they've got the, the whole wall is a tv screen it's like 1984 or whatever you know it's like they're they're, they're just having they're, they're inviting this whatever you call it i call it dark dark energy you know they're inviting that into their right into their front room yeah it's amazing you know it's, it's like a spell people caught up in it could really drain your energy now they got everybody uh, binging TV shows. Oh, yeah. As soon as one's over, another one pops right in. So instead of an hour or two or three hour movie, now they've got you for, you know, nine seasons. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, will it ever end? <laughs> oh, well. Okay, well, great. I just want to kind of get a background on, on how you, uh, you know, the awakening part to enter your life and start disconnecting from it. Um, so was there any kind of a significant event or was it just a slow process? Well, I think uh, I was, I think pre 9-11, I was um, kind of questioning uh, the climate narrative mm-hmm. uh, amongst other things. And I was just a bit skeptical about <laughs> the picture that, of the world, the way the world was supposed to work. I probably thought about, I probably dabbled into a few areas like maybe you know, fiat currency, the banking system, these kinds of things, and was probably scratching my head. And then 9-11 came along and I just blew everything apart. I was just like, well. Yeah, that's a big eye-opener for a lot of people is to yeah, see well, that happen. And Building yeah. 7, you know, what happened to Building 7 was really buried quickly, pardon the pun. And it was like there was a BBC reporter, a, a lady in New York, you know, yeah. saying, uh, you know, the, the Building 7 has collapsed and it's right behind her. It's still fully intact. Our car 
correspondent, Jane Stanley. Jane, what more can you tell us about the Salomon Brothers building and its collapse? Well, only really what you already know. Details are very, very sketchy. There's almost a sense downtown in uh, New York behind... And standing behind her is the fully intact WTC Building 7. ...down by the World Trade Centers of uh, just an area completely closed off as the rescue workers try to do their job. Presumably there were very few people in the Salomon Building when it collapsed. I mean, there were, I suppose, fears of possible further collapses around the area. That's what you would hope, because this whole downtown area behind me has been completely sealed off and evacuated, apart from the emergency workers. That was done by the mayor, Rudy Giuliani. We are getting information now that one of the other buildings, Building 7, in the World Trade Center complex is on fire and has either collapsed or is collapsing. Uh, I, I, you, to be honest, can see these pictures a little bit more clearly than I. And clearly those fires continue to burn at about 4.15 Eastern Daylight Time. So he identifies when he's saying these things, and it's 4.15, the building came down at 5.20. So there's the script. <laughs> I remember getting a call from the uh, fire department commander telling me that they were not sure they were going to be able to contain the fire. And I said, you know, we've had such terrible loss of life. Maybe the smartest thing to do is, is pull it. Uh, and they made that decision to pull. And then we watched the building collapse. Yeah, so all of that. So I followed that, you know, that was, and it was just, I mean, I suppose it's just the fact it wasn't, it was the fact that the media never, ever, you know, it's still, it's still off limits. It's completely off limits, you know. And that, that just says it all, really. It's like, well, what, so we can't go and talk about that? No, you can't go and talk about it. And then with the climate thing, I, I kind of noticed, I don't know if it's the same in the States, but here they kind of stopped talking about it. It's, that's how it seemed to me. They kind of, it's like they dropped the subject because they, they weren't really winning the argument. I dropped it for a long time. And they brought it back in the last few years, like... Yeah, the, the, the verbiage changed. The label changed. It used to be called changed, global yeah. warming, and now yeah. it's climate. What's the word? Climate. Well, it's climate emergency, is what they're calling it now. Isn't it? Oh yeah. Hmm. And but you know, of course, on the back of that, there's there's so much infrastructure for the for their proposed new world that's built on the back of that narrative. Mm -hmm. and it's already in place and has been for decades you know so that's that's a massive thing i mean that's that's actually way bigger than than covid really mm -hmm. oh so, yeah yeah universal <laughs> universal <laughs> yeah so so a big moment yeah i mean i guess it was 9 11 mm -hmm. kind of typical typical <laughs> typical truth uh, uh answer i suppose <laughs> Yeah, it is hard. I mean, to me, it's not. It's not really about like what happened on the day. It's about like how. It's about how the media didn't interest. That that's that's the takeaway from the whole thing. You know, it's like well, the media, the, the investigative journalists, <laughs> you mm -hmm. know, are not interested in, in investigating this story. So yeah, I guess they want to keep their job and keep their food on the table and all that stuff. You know, they're going to have to play along, get along. And there's your controlled opposition. There really is no opposition anymore. It's just different forms of each side. Um, you know, ca a cattle can choose which door they want to enter, but it's all going down the same hall to the slaughterhouse. Yeah. They think they have a choice, though. <laughs> Tell me about the Reporting for Beauty uh, website, which is where your articles are posted. 
Uh, yeah, that's my page on uh, Substack, uh, which is seems to be a platform that supports free speech, uh, as far as I can tell <laughs> so far. And uh, yeah, there's a lot of great writers on Substack, and uh, well, a lot of write, writers <laughs> everywhere on the internet these days. But um, okay, so it's uh, so for those listening, it's Substack, S-U-B-S-T-A-C-K dot com. And then yeah. when you subscribe and become a member there, you can not only access articles like what Tim's written, but is this correct, Tim? We can also post our own articles. Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, yeah, it's very easy to get to get started there. Um, yeah, I did. I think I was, uh, when I first wanted to write, I looked at Tessa Lina, who's a great um, writer. I thought, well, she's that's what she's using. That's the platform she's on. So that's good enough for me. So I just went for Substack. But um, they seem to support free speech, and that's a big issue, obviously, at the moment. So, um, mm-hmm. and free speech is so important today uh, because of all the social media, um, you know, censorship going on. Is that one of the reasons that you chose such a, an outlet like this? Yeah, I think you have to be pretty careful. I mean, you never know, but um, you know, people. I mean, it's beyond social media. You know, people having oh everything from their, you know, like um, these kind of. Uh, funding sites like um, Kofi or Buy Me a Coffee, people are getting blocked, They're having their accounts blocked on those. We're having GoFundMe is blocking um, fundraising drives mm-hmm. if they're not politically correct. People are being blocked on Patreon, um, you know, uh, and also people are having bank accounts <laughs> blocked, you know, mm-hmm. for the wrong thing, basically. So and the, the ghosting that goes on, you know, you may yeah. be uh, watching all your YouTube videos and then all of a sudden you realize you're the only one watching them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, YouTube, I mean, is, is an absolute joke. Obviously. Yeah, oh, yeah, completely. And then Odyssey. You know, Odyssey's kind of an odd bird. I, I don't know that I completely trust it either. It seems to be nothing more than YouTube light or YouTube filtered. Aren't they owned by the same company? It seems like Google owns them both. Is that right? I, d- I don't know about Odyssey. I mean, obviously, there's there's stuff on there for now that's um, th- that's no longer on uh, Odyssey uh, on YouTube. But mm-hmm. it's like a corralling, you know. They're trying exactly. to get all the Mustangs in the in the in the stalls in one area because they're the ones that are going to cause the most trouble, need most training, and then they let all the right. other sheep and other animals that aren't troublemakers in another separate area. They're corralling. Uh, people in these web outlets don't you think you see that's that? the thing i do think that and it's the same kind of things happening on facebook where people you know or any of these um platforms where you it's not that you're silenced but you're you're silenced from certain certain uh, areas you know mm-hmm. you're blocked from certain areas so you sort of so you feel as if you can still speak your mind but only people that agree with you are going to be the ones that you're talking to. Right. And uh, it's dangerous stuff, you know. It it really reminds me when I was a kid um, around the playground, we used to play this game of marbles. And Mm -hmm. if you knocked your opponent's marble out of the circle, you got to keep it. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, the best marble player has this huge bag of marbles, and hardly anybody has any. So then you get bored. And so what do you do when you get a bunch of one thing as a kid? Well, you start to segregate it, divide it. You know, you put all the red ones over here, the glass ones, the wooden ones. So it seems like these elite factions are bored, and they're starting to label and corral and organize people for even more control. Yeah, I mean, I think, well, I think the... 
you know, it's also it's uh, division. The more division, the more different ways people are divided. Mm-hmm. You know, the better. U- ultimately, you know, it's ideal if you're div- if you're eventually divided into a tribe of one, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so that you you have no no affinity with anyone else. You know, <laughs> you know, you're literally on your own and you're just a consumer. That's pretty ideal, I think, for the. Uh, yeah, what, is it a Latin phrase? Uh, divide to conquer, divide to rule. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it goes back to Rome. You know, all roads come from Rome. Now it seems like the it, it, you know the Roman Empire. I I like to say it didn't really um, die out or be destroyed. It kind of just it, it diversified now. Yeah, it's definitely uh, arguable. Yeah. And, you know, some of the things that the Roman culture in, you know, a city of a million people 2,000 years ago come up with a lot of invention and a lot of uh, ingenuity. So some of the things that we have now from their grouping, they're not so bad, but it just seems to be that that control factor, you know, putting people in these boxes to monitor and watch them. That's that's what we can do without. What's the remedy? What, what can we do? <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, I mean... what yeah, as you say, there's a lot of great things. There's a lot of amazing things about civilization, you know. Um, but the issue is always this this issue of control and domination. And well, I've traced it. You know, the the biggest kind of revelation in my sort of journey trying to understand all this was when I really started to understand psychopathy, mm-hmm. um, and that's what I've started to write more about. Right. Do you have a background in psychology? I don't know. Um, not only through what I've read, you know, um, and whatever understanding I've picked up. Well, with your articles I've read so far, it seems like you're got an advanced degree in it. You certainly have a good <laughs> grasp of the human Thanks. psyche. And I'm going to touch on one of those articles now on, mm. on the website you've got. It's called Our Psychopath Problem. Hmm. Yeah, and, that's the last one and, I've written, yeah. And what a problem it really, really is. Um, so you, you started out, you summarized how humanity survived, or the, the subtitle, How Humanity's Survival Depends on Our Readiness to Acknowledge and Address the World Ego. What is the world ego, Tim? Well, you know, this is, I mean, it's quite, it's quite a long article, this, and it's quite epic. It tries to ca- cover a lot of ground, and... Um, what I mean by the world ego is really I'm talking about the macro and the micro. Mm-hmm. So it's about so I'm trying to convey the sort of uh, the reality as I see it that the ego, one's own ego, is a, you know a reflection or a mirror image of the external. So there's no problem that's out there that's not also within. Um, I don't know how much I convey that in this article, but that's kind of, that's, you know, I mean, I've had long had an interest in Buddhism and that's really where I've picked up that um, sort of philosophy. I like um, the, the, the Buddhaic thought on the Bodhisattva uh, concept, where rather than hoarding all the information that might help humanity, the Bodhisattva sticks his neck out on a limb and tries to enlighten his brethren, sister, and people, folk around him at the risk of what you delve into the article when you cover the topic of uh, the idealist or dreamer. The Bodhisattva's there to help 
and sometimes it, it you know it, it, it's not good for him or her yes <laughs> yeah well yeah I mean so the article kind of is a very I mean it's an attempt it's quite a grand attempt really or uh, yeah uh, it's, it's an attempt to uh, sort of categorize or look at a, a big picture of like society as a whole and to, to sort of look at the different aspects that are, that are at play mm-hmm. uh, so it's divided it's in, in a simple sense it's just like oh there are four types of people <laughs> it's kind of like that mm-hmm. but it's more about the way that these different groups interact and respond to each other so um, mm-hmm. the groups are the, they, they sort of form into like a what was very familiar this kind of um, pyramidic kind of structure uh, so at the top you have the parasites um, and then at the bottom you have the folk mm-hmm. which is you know your ordinary people who aren't thinking too much about why they're at the bottom or the fact that there's even a structure there and then in the middle you'd have this kind of these two kind of groups which are kind of battling each other and you know this so one i've called the idealists and that would be the people that really love truth mm-hmm. and um really uh, you know prepared to be uncomfortable in the service of truth uh, and then in this in the status in the in the structure that's established above them would come the what i've called the flying monkeys which is they're the people that are attracted that they love status more than truth basically mm-hmm. So I, I, I saw an article about that type also of a uh, person called the midwits. The midwit, yeah. The mid-wit. And I didn't use that in the article, and I've been hearing that more. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a brilliant concept. Yeah, the person that knows just enough uh-huh. to, uh, to sort of to cement their status in society. Yeah, I, I feel but, like playing the George Carlin clip right now, you know, smart enough to keep the machine rolling, but dumb enough to not realize they're being used as a machinery item. (laughs) Obedient workers, people who are just smart enough to run the machines and do the paperwork, and just dumb enough to passively accept all these increasingly shittier jobs with the lower pay, the longer hours, the reduced benefits, the end of overtime, and the vanishing pension that disappears the minute you go to collect it. Brilliant, yeah, of course, yeah, that's perfect, yeah. Yeah, so it's just me, yeah, that's what the article is, really, it's me trying to pull that apart and... um, Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, of course, solutions, solutions are so difficult to everyone. This is what everyone's looking for. Mm-hmm. And, and in the, finding the solution, it's going to have to be a combination of remedies, just like it got us into this mess. And I think environment has a lot to do with it. The air we breathe, the water we drink, the food we ingest, those things sure. coming into us can be used as, well, parasites you know, in the literal sense, to yeah. make us think differently, act differently. You know, certainly yeah. when you think about fluoride and water supply in the United States, it's everywhere. Yeah. Making you a useful... Yeah, and they want, they, they want to bring that in in the UK now. Oh, really? They're talking about it, huh? Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that was just... Um, I mean, I don't know now what's where, what stage it's at, but it's literally been talked about in the last couple of months in the UK. They just dropped, dropped it in, you know, while everyone's busy thinking about other stuff, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah. Distract, you know, bang the gong, and you can't hear what's going on in the other room. 
Yeah, that's that's yeah, pretty so sad. The environmental thing, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to, and it's hard to know. I mean, the, the amount of um, pollution, you know, all the pollutants that are in. Mm-hmm. And and in that sense, you really can't get that down on the flying monkeys and the the folk because it, a lot of it may not even be their fault. If you slide in these chemicals, and then your pineal yes. gland, for example, gets crusted over, you don't realize you've been taken over as a zombie. It just happens slowly. So is that your fault that you're quote um, uneducated, stupid, unawoken, or is it just you're a victim, and now a useful victim, you know? Well, this is where we look at, you know, this game has been being played for a long time, hasn't it? You know, we've oh, yeah. been here for a long time. Uh, yeah. And, well, you know, where does the responsibility lie? You know, some, some, somewhere we have to take it ourselves, don't we? We have to sort of own the fact that we're born and that we, we're continuing. We, what, what, and what we're serving, are we serving truth or are we serving a lie? Mm-hmm. You know, ultimately, that's a choice we all have to make. However, ill-equipped we might be to to do so. It's, uh, mm-hmm. And in the back to the article that you wrote, that first one, our psychopath problem. Um, with your permission, you've given me. I'm I'm dividing it up. I'm actually going to read it out loud, like an audio book or an article book. Um, Right. and divide it into the four sections and put that up later for the listeners. Uh, so they're kind of getting a background of it right now. Plus, I'll have the link on there where to go find it. At the end of this interview today, I'll put all the links to all your articles and your webpage. It's just fascinating stuff. And when I stumbled onto it, I thought, I've got to get this guy on the podcast. He, he's got a lot of great stuff here. So I'm, I really am very appreciative of your time here today. Um, but the first article that got my attention was the one called On the Psychology of the Conspiracy Denier, A Closer Look at the Class that Mocks. You did this one March 5. I'm assuming this year? Yes. Okay, good. Now, this one it was the first one I read, and I call it an art ickle, uh, play on my name in the, in the word article. And it was beautiful um, because this is really what we deal with a lot, how the people are used to not realize they're under the, the spell of this, this entity, force, elite group using them. And it's just amazing. I, you really sound like a psychologist when you wrote this one. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that was, I mean, well, the thing is, both of these pieces, I mean, because I only really, that was actually the first piece that I had published, and uh, I mean, it had an incredible response, it's been, uh, yeah, I mean, it, but so, it had so much, so many people republishing it, it's been translated into, like, a few different languages, it just went, mm-hmm. uh, it was so, yeah, so well received, and um, I think partly it was kind of, it's, I think the title was quite good <laughs> yeah. because uh, it was just, it was just, I'd heard the phrase and I just thought, oh, that's a good phrase to kind of put out there and get people thinking about, you know, the fact that um, just to, you know, you can do a lot with just playing with language in that way, you know, like these words that are used against us, you know, and just turn them on their head, you know, and, and send them back. Do you think that the numbers of people who recognize the control are completely we don't really know how many people are out there because they're afraid to come out of the closet so to speak and say anything i just notice in my travels here where i live in america when i randomly meet people at the grocery market or wherever and i start talking to them about some of this stuff i i get a ratio of about 80 percent of the people are already aware 
I'm not waking anybody up, but they are afraid to say anything. It's so hard to know, really. Um, and of course, the image that we get in the media and in like social media is, is so overwhelming. We constantly feel that we're the minority. Um, and yeah, when you do actually talk to people, then you can get quite a different image. Uh, and in the article, you, you go back into what we would refer to as uh, the ACEs study in psychology, uh, adult children um, who are affected by their past, their, their terrible uh, upbringing as children, trauma. And then you mentioned that in this article, how your theory is that when they were developing, growing as children, and the parents were there as the authority figure, that they seemed to just got locked in that authority knows best phase. There's so much wrong with the world, you know, and one of the one of the things wrong is that we don't mature. We don't know how to mature. So this coming into actual ownership of our own self, our own choices, our own responsibility, it's rare. It's rare to find, you know, really mature people, you know, emotionally mature. Um, I guess spiritually, spiritually mature. You know? um, so I think a big part of what's happening now is that people have this idea that there is an authority they, and, and they actually need that idea to survive. So they're basically relying on the fact that there's a, as I say, in there, um, there's a parent, there's a a sort of parent figure that is looking after everything, looking after them, has every, has everything worked out, and uh, would never harm them, and they and they can't believe, you know, even though the evidence is screaming at them, <laughs> right, right, that you know that the powers that be did not mean as well, you know, evidence is absolutely screaming, but the, mm -hmm. but they can't make that jump they can't it's too scary for them because they're so they're they're, they're sort of umbilically attached to this illusion of um, uh, you know, um, a caring benevolent authority mm -hmm. and the social media aspect it seems like that uh, these powers that that are around us knew well in advance that just simple social reaction without media or electronic uh, media. They notice how people in the village would act or, or people speaking on the telephone. And, and they thought, hey, you know, these people are doing a certain thing here. If we could multiply it somehow. So enter the technology age where now um, you've got bullying, cyberbullying, and you, you're multiplying a hundred million fold the exposure of your theories and your talking and sharing food and gossip and all this. So the social interaction hypes up and then it's much to their prediction. Here we are a bigger, bigger, more complicated mess as people try to jockey for control and power in their ego. They want to be liked. The like factor alone is just amazing to me. Um, it's just you know it's it's all around. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah, I think there was no doubt that the social media thing is has been warped. I mean, it's 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 strange because I think it did it, it did and sort of does have some potential. Um, like like most things, you know, it has some some potential good to it. Um, and 
you know, I kind of look fondly back at uh, days of you know MySpace. Always <laughs> that always seemed like it actually was quite a nice place to be. Um, yeah, just the simple basics to contact someone. Yeah, and you just put, you know, uh, it, yeah. But obviously, you know, I mean, we know that it was, it was all, it all took a direction, certain direction, you know, quite early on, very early on. And Facebook was kind of chosen, really, I think, as the one. It's pretty extraordinary. I mean, I've had some experiences um, with Facebook, particularly. Have you ever been banned before? Well, I've, I, the way that it's worked with me, which is pretty interesting, it's kind of, I think I sort of referred to it earlier, is, you know, that if... If you, I think there's a type of person which would be like the, the flying monkey. The thing is, that type is drawn to, um, as I said, status. So, so positions such as the admin of a Facebook group is a perfect position for someone who, you know, who's interested in status because they get they're the gatekeeper. They get to choose who's in, who's out. Mm-hmm. If you can speak or if you can't. When a, you know, when the discussion on that particular topic gets stopped, you know, if that post stays or not, um, that's perfect for for that kind of character. And so, what happens on this Facebook group? It's pretty extraordinary, really, because it's kind of for the average person, it seems like it's a um, like a public forum. It seems like it's the town square, you know, and everyone has a voice, and that's it, that's what it looks like. But you wouldn't know. So a normal person using it who, with um, mainstream ideas wouldn't know that someone like me is, is getting blocked from that group um, for posting facts or unapproved opinions. That would just be blocked from... I, I would just vanish, but they wouldn't even know that. So it's, it's kind of... It has this it's pretty sinister... You know? It's, it's like um, a microcosm of the ancient burning of the Alexandrian libraries. Yeah. All that information, gone forever. We don't know what yeah. we don't know. And here yeah. on a micro scale, you've got some truth to share, but you're burnt to the ground. We don't know, yeah. what, you, you know, we don't know what we don't know from you. Yeah. <laughs> and we don't even know that you're not, you, you know, you, would, you don't know that that person, that they weren't there because they didn't want to be. But that's not the case. They've just been vanished. Mm-hmm. But there's no way of knowing that they've been, been vanished. You know, it's kind of, it's pretty sinister. It's pretty odd. And so that's how the whole thing is skewed. So on, on Facebook particularly, I think it's like that. It's really, it really sort of nurtures this idea of like, we're, we're the community and this is what we all think. Um, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's pretty, pretty dark really. <laughs> Uh, let's talk a little bit more about the article. Uh, I'm going to read a little sentence or here or two. It, it says, mm-hmm. you've written, massive criminal conspiracies exist. The evidence is overwhelming. The scope of those currently underway is unknown. But there is no reason to imagine in the new global age that the sociopathic quest for power or the possession of the resources required to move toward it is diminishing. Certainly not while dissent is mocked and censored into silence by gatekeepers, like you just said useful idiots, quote, and conspiracy deniers, who are in fact directly colluding with the sociopathic agenda, though their unrelenting attack is on those who would shine a light on wrongdoing. So, yeah, being used. 
I, I noticed this one thing about YouTube when I was really into YouTube as an mm-hmm. alternative media source. Certainly not anymore, but it's like, and even today they, they seem to do this. And you can't play handball without a wall. So you can't just be, you know, throwing the wall, the ball out there and expecting it to come back when there's nothing to resist. So it yeah. seems like they do allow a couple of here and there spursed about truth to the bone uh, YouTubers or, or videos just so you can get people to argue and complain and uh, get the, you know, the so-called CIA in their pajamas out with their computers and act like they're really upset about it and all. So, you know, some of this truth is allowed to come in just to get people to get mad at each other. Do you see that going on? Absolutely. And this is a this is a really interesting question in the whole big picture as well, where I think um, in in relation to the whole sort of narrative, the global narrative that's kind of underway at the moment, I kind of think there's there's a real question about um, dissent, which is a, it's a little bit hard to get your head around. But the, yes, C.J. Hopkins has talked about um, the he calls it the Covidian cult, and I've heard other people talk about what's happening now as uh, as a cult, and the problem. With this cult, the, the difference is that this cult is in the is in the majority. So um, normally, with a cult, um, someone that's in a cult, one of the solutions, one of the ways to save them is to remove them physically from that environment, bring them to somewhere where they can, you know, adjust to reality. But in this situation, <laughs> we're we're the we're in the this created reality that is like a cult has a lot of the characteristics of the cult um, and but the, the thing that I wanted to get at is that the in, in relation to what you said is that the um, the cult sort of defines itself against what it is not so the cult kind of needs to have so in this case you know whatever they'd call you know they'd call you, you know, or someone like me, they'd call a a conspiracy theorist, anti-vaxxer, they'd probably want to throw in far right if they could or whatever, you know, they they need to have that sort of bogeyman sort of um, enemy to define themselves against. Mm -hmm. And the very sinister thing is they own that side as well in the spirit of Vladimir Lenin. He said, if, if you want to control the opposition, lead it yourself. Lead it yourself, yeah. So you, you're on both sides. Yes. Uh, well, although whether it's owned, I mean, it's certainly, I mean, um, yeah, to what degree that is, we don't know, I suppose. But um, mm-hmm. I pulled the article up right here uh, that, that you were talking about, and it is the webpage consentfactory.org. And, okay, yeah, that's in there. The Covidian, Covidian cult, he has three parts to this. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I'll put that in the links to the show notes for the listeners um, help mm. to get to it. Yeah, I mean, he did a good interview with the uh, on the Delling Pod as well, which um, is a bit, little bit more accessible possibly. But um, I don't know if you know the Delling Pod, if you come across that one. How do you spell that? Delling, so D-E-L-I-N-G pod. He's a journalist. Um, he's got quite a lot of good interviews on that, actually. You know, the more that you give offer the polar offer the opposite or offer opposition then in a way the more the the cult has 
to define itself against. Just like throwing is, throwing fresh meat into the piranha pool. And yeah. Stir it up, make it exciting. Uh, yeah. Hollywood, flashy. Mm. Uh, you know, yeah. red and blue states are fighting again. Oh, who are you going to vote for? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's a tricky. Um, it's a tricky one. It's a bit of a paradox, really. You know, because of course, like you, you, you want to say what's true, but uh, <laughs> at the same time, you need to kind of be aware. Well, how much division? How you know? How can we get around this division? Mm -hmm. And now that the narrative is um, so insanely wobbly, everything that's happening now, I think um, I think we don't have any choice. You know, I think we just have to keep nudging it. You know, and mm -hmm. we just hope that people are going to keep opening their eyes to it. You know. I'm into etymology and history, mm. how things begin and began, and I wanted mm. to go back. What was the very first division? And I kind of postulated this in my episode called The Source Creator. Yeah. So anciently, way back. Of course, there is no time. That's an illusion. I have a watch that ticks. That doesn't mean I have time. But uh, certainly before now, in the beginning of all things, there I think I divided into a non and a material those two realms, the first one being a non-material realm, and then the materialism realm invented or created by the source of all creation. And I'm certainly not going to use the word G-O-D here. I think that's a man-made term. But whatever it was, it started things off. So the first division was when these people, um, you know, humanoids, um, realized, hey, you know, we got two types of people here. We, we're the smart ones, and we can control them. So we're the leaders, and they're the sheep type thing. And I think the first division was to get people out of their mind, out of their body, and say there's a God or gods way up there, and then there's humanity down here. I think that was the first division that led to other ones. But, you know, not to get too much into the religious topic, but I think if we can realize in all of our wickedness and all of our understanding of how things are going on here, that we are, uh, we can still get back to our roots, our basics, that we're one with the one that made us. I think that's where the peace and power comes in. But uh, anyway, I don't want to get too much on that topic. We're going to focus more on the conspiracy denying mindset. But your article certainly does talk about that and div dividing us. So, you know, it's like the moon landing. You know, is it like 75% of Britons <laughs> didn't buy into that one? Really? Wow, that's amazing. I heard that. Yeah, I heard that. 75%. They're just like, no way. No way, blokes. <laughs> Forget about it. <laughs> Because, but see, how, how did that happen, though? How did it happen that so many people didn't quite get it? Is it compartmentalization? So when you segregate and separate people, loose lips sink ships. So you're in sector A, do not talk to sector M, and Z doesn't talk to anybody. <laughs> Z doesn't even talk to themselves. So when you compartmentalize everybody, no one knows what everyone's doing to make the whole. Yeah. I mean, I think the thing, you know, with. A lot of what's happening now is this uh, the divide with the, you know science and the science is so complicated that no one could possibly understand so you just have to trust the scientists <laughs> i love yeah. i love the term parsec the parsecs way out yeah. there you know there's like multiple light years yeah, like, yeah, first yeah. of all who, what the hell is a light year anyway who came up with this and then yeah. a black hole well mm. 
I mean, these fearful scientific uh, things, this, uh, oh my God, how will we ever figure this out? They're so smarter than us. Mm. <laughs> Occam's razor, usually the simplest answer is usually the answer. Mm. Uh, and, you know, quantum folding universe I and, uh, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, I think physics, yeah, theoretical physics kind of left reality quite a long time ago. Yeah. Well, it left physics, you know, theoretical. Theoretical physics was not really physics, is it? It's In theory. Simple, <laughs> yeah. yeah, physics used to be pretty simple. It's like, well, if it, you know, if you drop something, it falls down. <laughs> That'll do. <laughs> yeah, an irresistible force against an immovable object. Okay. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, now even with well, with COVID or with the climate thing, you know, we have these kind of. Uh, well, it's scientism, isn't it? I mean, that's what the cult is, really. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it is a, a bona fide religion. I have a podcast on this, too. Number 16, I believe it is, Scientism. Yeah. Um, and they've got their own books, their own prophets, apostles, doctrine, dogma, followers, naysayers, you know. Yeah, the whole thing. They have all the ingredients of religion. But people, I mean, it does make you wonder, like, if this... If this was how um, you know Christianity felt, <laughs> you know when when that was uh, brought in, when that was rolled out, you know that it was like, oh, the new reality's here, and you can't mm. really, you know, it, 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 it's the reality, you know, it's mm. not it's not a choice. It's the, this is the reality, and so either you're a heretic or you're with us or you're with reality, <laughs> you know. Right. The, the dichotomous choice that you must make, not realizing that over here in the corner, there's a completely different choice that you that you could make. But you're not told about that, you know. Yeah. It's like when Coke and Pepsi were battling it out. RC's like, hey, you know, what about us? <laughs> and they're all owned by BlackRock. Yeah. <laughs> and that's part of controlling the opposition is presenting two choices. Hey, these are your choices. And it's like, wait a minute, who decided on choice here? What about all these other ones you're not telling us about? And you give yeah. us the shittiest choices, you know? So back on the article, mm. the one that you wrote about the deniers, uh, it really is a fascinating article. I hope that everybody can can read it. And if you are driving around, you don't have time to read anything. I've, I've gone ahead and put this as a podcast for people to hear it. Um, just search for that. So, and it was very well read. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Oh, well, well, thank you. Thank you. I, I, when I'm passionate about something, I try to do a good job about it. And you wrote some really good stuff. And I'm, that's what we're trying to do here. Just try to enlighten people, give people um, a choice. Um, in, in the medical community, it's called informed consent. Informed yeah. consent. If you're not informed on all your choices, how in the world are you going to be able to make a good consent or agreement on what yeah. needs to be done? And that's just the problem. People are dumbed down. You know, they're, they're not given all the information. In the article, you, you concluded by saying that the essay focused on what I consider to be the deepest psychological driver of conspiracy denial. There are certainly others, such as the desire to be accepted, the avoidance of knowledge, what we're talking about right now, an engagement with the internal and external shadow, the preservation of a positive and righteous self-image, a generalized version of the flying monkey phenomenon, in which a self-interested and vicious class protect themselves by coalescing around the bully, the subtle unconscious adoption of the psychopathic worldview, like humanity is the virus, 
outrage, addiction, superiority, status games, a stunted and unambitious intellect that finds validation through maintaining the status quo. All these elements right here, this really describes our society that we're within. Comfort in uh, being with the masses, not rocking the boat. Yeah, it's funny hearing that bit read back. Yeah, it's quite harsh. It feels quite, it feels quite <laughs> angry. But, um, you yeah, know, I think if we're not angry now, then... Um, you know, then we're not alive, really. It's, it's, you know, what's happening is crazy. Oh, yeah, totally. And it's, you know, what's more infuriating, what could possibly be more infuriating than people, you know, saying, righteously telling you that you're the, you're the bad one. <laughs> you know, you're, you're the deluded one, mm -hmm. you know, as they march headlong into you know, who knows what kind of tyranny is around the corner if we don't uh, stand up. So it's, it's difficult, difficult times. I think that we may need a rescue, Tim. I think we may be to the point of helplessness that the, these, these oligarchs are so powerful and own everything that we are, all we can really do is kind of peck under the ice and say, somebody hit it right here and let me out. Yeah, we're really not going to be able to do anything. So the rescue idea is what I got from my episode about the quote, alien invasion. You know, another entity out there that's going to come and, and uh, be our knight in shining armor. What do you yeah. think about that? Do we need to be rescued? <laughs> well, I mean, okay. So, I mean, I've, I'm, as I said, I'm interested in Buddhism. I mean, I, I have a faith, you know, which is ultimately in, in Buddha nature. So, so that faith really is that that everything has has Buddha nature. So even the darkest things carry within them the, the seed of uh, enlightenment. Mm -hmm. um, so, from that perspective, even the the things that are happening now and the anger that's brought up in response to that everything has a positive in a way a purpose you know a higher purpose so from that perspective that's really how i would kind of view it i think you know looking forward i i don't know what's going to happen there's lots that we can predict there's lots that's kind of being floated lots of ideas being floated cyber pandemics uh, you know global financial crash you know all this kind of scary stuff it's all possible uh, you know a great awakening which i guess to some degree is happening uh it's hard to know what's going to happen yeah i think without some kind of faith um it's difficult to face it because well i think like all of us who are interested in um, the underbelly of what's what's presented it can seem pretty dark at times and you can sort of lose faith and lose hope mm -hmm. but uh, I think ultimately I mean this is the piece that I'm writing now uh, which I'm struggling a little bit with uh, to finish but it's um, it's about what we share you know people who who are not buying into the narrative what is it that that we share what's the thing that unifies us mm -hmm. that's quite difficult to, to really identify what that really is because um i mean as i said yeah this piece that i wrote um it's called descent yeah descent plus humility equals survival that's a shorter piece that i wrote but that really talks about how there's such a disparate group of people you know that are kind of unifying around basically dissenting to the current narrative you know really completely and you can see it just on like demonstrations and stuff the people that are, you know it's all kinds of people well, i pulled up the article here i've got it right in front of me 
read a little part of it here. The great crime relies on a culture or cult of universal deceit, which has seen the abdication of all remaining vestiges of journalistic integrity in the mainstream. I think that's so totally true and sad, uh, the way the media is used as part of the control grid. And you say, creation, color, integrity, and heart have no place in the new wall-to-wall gray fearscape. Anyone seeking information, analysis, inspiration, or even entertainment in the wasteland of the modern corporate media is looking the wrong way. Yeah, and the media. Talk about that for just a second. Um, some people use the media to escape and, and kind of remove themselves from the chaotic culture, not realizing they're just conditioning themselves to get right back in it, right? Yeah, I mean, I, well, I, I, I sort of ducked out of it well about about 20 years ago um, I pretty much stopped paying any attention to the mainstream media and so so my my sense of it is all second hand really mm -hmm. I very occasionally will go and look at you know mainstream source directly um, do you find that that's been helpful for this long period of time to get the second hand does it help filter truth better for you it's been great for me. I think it's just toxic, you know, it's absolutely toxic. And I'd say that really for most, you know, sadly, yeah, I'd say that for all, all media, really going through entertainment, even into the music, you know, pop music. Yeah, I think there's just so much toxicity in, mm -hmm. throughout it all, really. And so it's kind of like uh, looking in the sewage to make sure it's not overflowing and then you shut the lid. That's about all you really yeah. need to do. Check on it occasionally. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's—I mean—it's amazing to me that so many people like me have had the same kind of realization. Then it's been just such a shock to see that people who seem intelligent still buy that stuff. You know, they still think they're informed because they read the news mm -hmm. <laughs> in quotes. You know, yeah. I, I like to use the term, uh, the word news, and pronounce it noose. Around your neck. You <laughs> yeah, know. yeah, 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 that's good. Northeast, west, south. Um, and they, they tighten the noose every night here in the Americans uh, about six o'clock. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> and yeah, then yeah, that's great. they loosen it during the newscast to get your noose loosened. And you, you get some stuff put down your throat, and then they tighten it at the end. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, God. This was Ted Koppel. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's bad stuff. Yeah, and, and, and what's sad is it, it's kind of like candy at Halloween. You overindulge, you eat a lot of that rich chocolatey goodness. But it's like a lot of people, that's all that, that's their diet. It's just a bunch of junk food. Yeah. So let me ask you this, Tim. You said for 20 years now you've been kind of separated from the cesspool of media. What do you do instead with your time to absorb and enjoy life and beauty? What things come into your life that inform you? Well, so do you? Are you talking about in terms in terms of understanding events and world world events? Yeah, I mean, you mentioned the second hand. You get that maybe from mm. I guess relatives or friends around you, coworkers. But what others? Um, yeah. I guess what what's your good source of of information? Uh, you, you mentioned yeah. having the Buddhaic lifestyle and understanding the, the teachings of the Great Buddha, um, which is a great understanding, a great way of life. A lot of principles in that culture and um way of thinking they're wonderful you know yeah um well 
I mean, as I say in this that article, I mean, there's so. I, I mean, yeah, as I go on to say, I think in that, uh, it's just the next three from there. Uh, yeah, one of the most obvious benefits of living through the great crime, that's what I'm calling what's happening at the moment, is that we've clearly entered a golden age of independent journalism. And mm-hmm. I did that. I, to me, I mean, I, I don't know if this is um, just my impression, but I, I don't think it is. I think that the, the writing, the, the quality of writing and journalism that's available now, and it's this is the thing that people, I guess, don't even look, you know, if they're in the mainstream, they're not even looking. But there's, you know, all you need to do is go just have a look. <laughs> there's, there's so much. So there's, I mean, there's, where to start with what... I, I mean, I'm I'm overwhelmed with it. You know, I, I I'm now subscribed to so many uh, great blogs, and uh, mm-hmm. I mean, I listen to one of the one of the best ones, one of, one of the best uh, sort of podcasts I find for keeping up to date. So I dip in. I I can't listen to all of them, but for dipping into keeping up to date with actually where the narrative is, where the narrative's falling apart, and where the narr- where they're trying to prop it up is. Um, the last American Vagabond. Um, hmm. I, I recommend his his podcast or his site, and he has uh, some great interviews on there as well. Um, he just did an interview with um, uh, Brooke Jackson, who is the Pfizer whistleblower. Um, hmm. So he did a full length interview with her, talking about um, basically her expose of what was going on during the Pfizer trials. Welcome to The Last American Vagabond. Now, you may have heard, if watching independent media, that recently a regional director who was employed at the research organization Ventavia Research Group told the British Medical Journal that the company falsified data, unblinded patients, employed inadequately trained vaccinators, and was slow to follow up on adverse events reported in Pfizer's Phase three trial of its COVID-19 injection. Staff who conducted quality control checks were reportedly overwhelmed by the volume of problems that they were finding. And after repeatedly notifying Ventavia of these problems, the regional director, Brooke Jackson, emailed a complaint to the FDA. Ventavia fired her that same day. The day that I made the complaint to the FDA, a few hours later, I was fired under the pretext that I was not a good fit. I'm 100% confident that I was not a good fit because I was refusing to be complicit in their fraud. Which, yeah, I mean, that's something that just in a, in, a, in a sane world that would have been global front page news. Whistleblower, you know, absolutely legitimate, has been completely ignored <laughs> by the media, you know, it's, it's, it's insane. Yeah. But he goes into a lot of depth. So that's one of, the, one of my best sources currently, but it's, it's not good to rely on too much in one place, you know. So I, I kind of, um, mm-hmm. I listen to a few a lot of different sources but I kind of I'll dabble you know but he's one that I tend to keep coming back to he's pretty reliable and if he makes mistakes he'll come back and correct them it's very that's cool I pulled up his webpage here it's dot uh, com what you mentioned there um, and yeah there's a lot of good stuff on here it's on a bit shoot um, also some videos there 32,000 subscribers on bit shoot alone um, yeah, this is interesting information. I'm going to start looking at this too. Um, maybe get him on the podcast for an interview. I don't know if he'd be willing to or not. Yeah. He's very, um, I mean, he might be a bit of an acquired taste for some people because he's really, uh, he, he talks far. He talks a lot. He talks hard. <laughs> he 
<laughs> it keeps going. It's like it's pretty incessant. But um, but yeah, I really admire him. He's really he works hard um, gathering the information. He doesn't miss stuff. If he if he you know if he doesn't get the full picture, he'll come back and, and go over it, correct it. You know. I just put a, a, a piece on there about these 94 degree below zero refrigerators, freezers needed for the vaccine to stay stable. Right. Uh, and looking at this article with uh, Dr. Chris Martinson, it reminded me of that. You know, when I go down to my local drugstore, um, I don't see any kind of freezer like that. Right. And now they're talking about turning this thing into a standard pill that you just pop in. Who knows what they're doing, you know? It's, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's crazy, crazy times. Um, but yeah, he's, he's the, probably the best source I've found for staying right up to date on figures of, you know, he covers everything, adverse event, effects and, you know, all the different measures, you know, quotes, health measures that are being brought in around the world. That's really cool. Yeah. I like that. Uh, and, and in that, piece i discovered you know there was i was actually letting it roll in the background uh, a tv a video interview where they talked about how uh if these vaccines are not kept under their dry eyes the temperatures aren't really cold then they start to elevate they, they lose their potency and they won't be able to be effective and they said in the southern climates it's hard to do that so i, I just yeah. like here comes an advanced directive they're setting up so in the future when all these people drop dead they can go well you know you forced us to make it real quickly and then you didn't keep it stable so it's your fault yeah. not ours <laughs> <laughs> we did the best we could or everybody would have died we just lost yeah. half you know thanos snapped his fingers and half of the universe dead <laughs> yeah well yeah it's crazy i mean we just had i just heard the um I can't remember his name, but it's the CEO of Pfizer saying um, in an interview, horrible puff piece on the BBC, which I heard quoted. Uh, and the guy says, uh, oh, what are we going to do about the about these anti-vax narratives? You know, And he says something like, uh, oh, well, you know, fit, people are people are scared. But it's completely misrepresented. Of course, the whole thing's everything's misrepresented he says oh people are scared of taking the vaccine um, but there's one thing that's stronger than fear and that's love and uh, if you really care about your grandma then you should take the vaccine mm. oh <laughs> <It's> wow like, <laughs> it's just like un unbelievable oh, uh, it's like here's the rope this is how you put it around your neck and I'll let yeah. you figure out the rest yeah <laughs> Well, that's a good way to get people and control the narrative is to put it back on, well, you you just don't love anybody, do you? You selfish person. You think about yeah. others. Uh, well, that's the, I mean, that's another big piece, which I've, uh, is the communitarian, you know, um, aspect, which a lot of people have covered uh, some depth. Uh, he calls himself Larkin, Texas. Um, it kind of comes down to this idea of driving everything through the concept of community. My friend uh, Lark has a website, a Lark in Texas. And let me just read you what he says about communitarianism. Communitarianism, first things first. The thesis of the problem, monopolistic crony capitalism, corporatism, mercantilism versus the antithesis or reaction, Judaic Talmudic communism, cultural Marxism, Kabbalahism, 
equals the synthesis solution, communitarianism, a 20th century political doctrine which emphasizes the interest of communities and societies over those of the individual. While not necessarily hostile to liberalism or social democracy per se, it does oppose individualist doctrines like libertarianism, which stresses human independence and the importance of individual self-reliance and liberty, and most aspects of modern conservatism, advocating instead ideas such as civil society, the concept of voluntary civic and social organizations and institutions, as opposed to the force-backed structure of a state and commercial institutions. What the communitarians stand for, we establish for the moment a new world order. 11th of September, 2001, everything changed. The world needs a new global architecture, additional layers of governance to deal with issues that neither nations nor traditional forms of intergovernmental organizations can cope with. So it, it, the reason that you have to do what you're told is because of the community, because you care about the community, don't you? You know, so it's that, it's that constant pressure of like control through mm -hmm. you know, submission to what you're told is for the good of all, you know, for the good of the whole. Mm -hmm. the sort of yeah, I pulled the article up here. Lark in Texas, communitarianism, hyphen 4.11.20, the fetch. Um, if you, people want yeah, I don't know if he's it. writing much at the moment, but he's, he's, he was pretty interesting on that. There's other people covered have covered it as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's so much great, great material out there. You know, it's like we're swimming in it. I mean, that's the sort of problem. It's not really that there's a lack of good writing or good information. Um, it's just that all the people that need to read it aren't reading it. <laughs> mm -hmm. and I, I don't really need to keep reading it anymore. You know? uh, so if I feel like I understand a lot of uh, what's what's you know the, what's going behind what's what we're told is going on. Mm -hmm. I mean, another amazing writer uh, is Ian Davis. Uh, he he spells it the um, it's the Irish way, or is I A I N Davis. He's brilliant, right? Very, very good writer about, um, and he also writes. A, I think he's written something just on Whitney Webb's website now. I mean, there's so many. She's great, you know. There's so many great writers around. Yeah. Ian Davis is very, very thorough, and he's done a whole book on the on the pandemic. I pulled uh, it up here in hyphen this hyphen together dot com. Yes, uh, Ian Davis, and spell a little differently. A I A I N. That's a, yeah. that's a new spelling. Uh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it's I think it's a Celtic spelling or something. My name's Ian Davis. I'm a I'm a writer and a blogger and a researcher and an author as well. Um, I live in live in the south coast of England in Portsmouth. Um, I'm my former career. I was I was uh, a drug and alcohol. Uh, practitioner and mental health practitioner. Um, my uh, my work has been featured in quite a lot of kind of I suppose you would call independent news outlets, like um, uh, particularly the UK Column, uh, the Off Guardian, Lou Rockwell, people people like that. I just want to get the information out there that people are not commonly made aware of. It's all in the public domain, and I think that's an important aspect. It's not a pandemic it's a pseudo pandemic but why would they do this why would and who are these people i describe something in the book called the global public private partnership which is a network of governments philanthropic organizations think tanks ngos um, banks corporations stakeholder capitalists it is about transforming the model of capitalism 
we, before we wrap up today, um, Tim, again, thank you for your time. I wanted to kind of delve into this concept of uh, coming back around again in the Bidaic, uh thought and principles. The idea is to stop that process. So you're born into this world, you live, and then when you leave, you come back again in another person, another trial again, another, I guess, get it right this time type of thing. And you just keep the cycle of reincarnating yourself over and over. And the Buddha's idea was stop the madness, go to nirvana. Yeah, I mean, the thing is that the, the Buddhism that I practiced is, um, is Nichiren Buddhism, and it's, uh, it's a sort of subsect of the Mahayana school. It's a bit different. So it doesn't really aim to uh, sort of exit the wheel of life in that way. It's more about enlightenment in the current moment. It doesn't have that sort of aim. Do you practice or, or adhere to the reincarnative element then or, or no? Reincarnation, well, the nice way that I heard it put is that the, is the, like the sea waves and the, the universe or the, let's say the, the planet peoples. So... <laughs> So the energy of the, will, the energy is kind of like a whole, like the let's say the energy of humanity, is all kind of one, one specific resonance, and then that will weigh. You know, the equivalent of a wave on the ocean is like one lifetime of one person, and then you kind of resolve that resolves itself back into the whole, and then another one will come. But it's not a direct relationship. I'm trying to explain to little children here in our culture where babies come from without getting too, you know, gynecological on them that early. We say, oh, well, you know, the stork brought you and put you in our front door. And I'm thinking, I have this crazy theory that when you're in the next life realm, you're the stork and the baby, and you get to place yourself in another area. Um, but how can you predict that you're going to be in a higher life station? when everything's new and the parents are born into that family, you don't know what they're going to do. You have no idea what's going to end up in 30 years. They could be paupers. Um, so I don't yeah. look so much as a doing good to get better later. I just say it's a whole new life experience to live mm. and continue living. You cannot technically die. No. You just get another life to try out. Yeah. And I think, I mean, Steiner, you know, I, I don't, I haven't read a lot of Steiner, but, um, you know, have some interest in him, and he, he talks about the idea that you know you you kind of enter the let's say the universal consciousness. You know, so you so you shed this shed the material and the spiritual, um, the astral. I can't remember the different aspects. You know, until you're kind of at one with universal consciousness, and then at some point the the impulse to be reborn emerges again mm. and then you sort of head back you gather back 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 up the body you know the astral body the spiritual body and the material body and you, in part of that is kind of choosing mm. and so that journey i like know, that i like that i know it's a nice piece actually yeah. I, I, it's a while since i read that but it is it's mm -hmm. a nice image isn't it and yeah. it's, it think, sounds simple too yeah exactly and uh but he's, I think inherent in that is the idea that you choose, that there is a, there is a choice there made. You know, you, you're sort of, it's, it's a wish to, have to partake of the material realm again. Mm -hmm. um, and so that part of that is choosing the circumstances that best suit your 
cho- your mission and what your choice of your mission is mm-hmm. in this life. That's good. I like that. Steiner. A, how do you spell that? Steiner. Steiner. Uh, Rudolf Steiner. So it's a S T E I N E R. I've heard of him before, but I, uh, you know, it's really amazing. After you, after you start, uh, I guess use the word awaken. When you start realizing things as an older adult that you didn't know as a child, it's like you got to watch the movie over again now that you know certain things. You got to read yeah. the author's material all over again, a whole new perspective. Um, and what seems like, you know, you're doing this over and over, what are you learning here? Well, it's not so much the written or, or the media form, it's your perspective on it that gives you a whole nother realm. Yeah, absolutely. Love that. This part of learning. Yeah. I mean, the, the other thing, I think, in, I, I think it comes from Stein, I'm fairly sure, um, it, as part of that kind of picture as well, is that the, the sort of, in a way we have it backwards we kind of well it's quite easy for us to kind of think that there's a somehow the the non-material aspect of ourselves is kind of somehow higher or more important or uh, more worthy or you know it's like the eternal aspect or something but what he says is that um, when you have this material form that's actually the time when you can actually change things this is the time when we're alive, when we're alive, we can we have a voice, we can speak, we can influence, we can make things, we can, you know, have a lifetime to create and mm-hmm. transform reality. That's the actually that's the time when you can do the most for your karma. So I like to theorize like that, and really it is. Life is one big theory that you come to toward the end of your your life. You know, what what are your theories? What are, you know? We can't really prove that the earth is a certain thing or not, unless you've got the resources to go out there and physically see it for yourself. Otherwise, you're just being told, like you said, secondhand. Um, but you know, life is wonderful. Um, when you when you come to this peace and realization that you're not really one of the ninety nine percenters, not the one percenter, but kind of like like to say the other one percent. Kind of <laughs> watching this whole movie in front of you with popcorn yeah. in your mouth. <laughs> What's yeah. going to happen next? <laughs> yeah, yeah. The other 1%. I like that. <laughs> well, i tell you what, Tim. It's been a pleasure talking to you today. We've been kind of putting on the table some of these concepts, ideas. Your articles are wonderful. And again, listeners, I invite you, please, go pull this up. I'm going to have the links at the show notes where you can read about uh, Mr. Tim Foyle's information. And that is spelled F-O-Y-L-E. Let's talk about what, what's our plan of attack here. What are, how are we going to make things right? How are we going to wake people up? What's what's the what can we do? You know, I mean, I think you're doing something good in these articles you're writing and the podcast I got going. You, you're thinking of doing a podcast yourself. I think, well, you know, other than getting this out in the media, I mean, can we just what randomly talk to people in public and try to wake people up individually, like a bodhisattva might do? Yeah, I mean, I think. I think uh, one of the main things, as I understand it, is, um, and this is actually what, um, uh, the, I can't remember the actual guy's name, but the the guy that writes Larkin, Texas, um, mm-hmm. that I referred to before, he talks about um, cults quite a lot and how to help people get out of a cult, out of a cult thinking. Uh, and one of the main things is to ask questions because if you if you come at them with 
you know a, a different oppositional perspective as i was saying before that will actually that basically reinforces because they've already been told to expect you you know so you know part of the part of the cult is um, defining yourself as you know well i'm not a conspiracy theorist i'm not an anti-vaxxer i'm not a blah blah whatever it is you know so when someone comes to you with uh, challenges you then you you it reinforces you more in that position and you're like oh no you're one of those bad people uh, so the, and the only way around that uh, is really to ask questions mm-hmm. so I think we have to be asking questions of people uh, get people to think uh, along their own thinking process can rescue them rather than trying to pull yeah. them through the jail cell bars and kill them in the process you just kind of Give them a little note through the jail cell bar. Give them a note to think about, and then they can free themselves type of thing. I don't know. Maybe that's a bad analogy. Um, yeah. No, I mean, I think, that, you know, it's it's like because uh, a question can kind of sit with someone, you know, even if you, you might not know it at the time. Mm-hmm. But a question can kind of sit in someone's head. And, and the, the man you were thinking of, he, he calls himself the, um, the fetch. Um American expatriate living in Amman. Uh, is that how you pronounce it? Amman? Amman? Uh, an Arab state? Not sure. Uh, he calls himself the Fetch. F-E-T-C-H. Okay, or Dennis think, Fetcho. There it is. Dennis Fetcho or the Fetch. Okay. That was the Larkin okay. in Texas uh, person. You're trying to think of their name earlier. Um, yeah, yeah you, I really appreciate all the resources you've given us and the listeners here today, too. I hope some people do some some independent research on the on the, the websites you've exposed to us today this that's good too and really you know yeah. that is using media social media as a tool of good or evil if you want to use those terms mm. well yeah there is so much um so much out there i mean i keep meaning actually to do uh, a piece that's literally just recommended articles and stuff because i mean uh, as i said there's so much um mm-hmm. there is so much out there now uh, there's such incredible writing I just keep being blown away by people's research and um, you know do you remember the story of um, Gulliver's Travels the giant who found himself on the beach yeah yeah and he woken and then he had all these tiny threads all over him that the little people were trying to hold him down yeah yeah. they really didn't know to trust him or not and I keep thinking of this you know will enough people alternative media writers like yourself podcasters like myself will enough of us be able to tie that giant down and win this thing and that's what gives me hope i think yes i think our civilization is due for major change and i think it's uh, the very tool they're trying to control us with is going to turn around and thread them down to the beachhead Mm. yeah i mean i i i i am an optimist um I'm not sure which direction it's ultimately going to go in. Uh, I think a big part of it is going back to the land. I think that's massive. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, simplifying our lives. It's stop thinking of ourselves as consumers. Uh, you know, learning, relearning the old, uh, simple ways of existing together in community. You know, all of this stuff. I, 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 don't, I think it has to happen. Uh, it's hard for us to see now. I 
think, from from the perspective of where we are. Uh, the piece that I'm writing at the moment is about, it's really it's about freedom and what freedom means and trying to really become, be, to, to really define what that means for me. Mm -hmm. Because I think there's quite a lot of woolly thinking because people are so used to this kind of the comfort of you know modern civilization and they and they kind of take they take for granted the kind of comfort that we have and they're not really questioning but the foundations of it how how we really create the, the civilization or the, the society let's say that we really need mm -hmm. how we're going to do that on what basis what foundational beliefs and understandings individual freedom uh, internal freedom can translate to outward external freedom um, and it does it absolutely does it's um and it, it can't it, yeah it, without without internal freedom and sovereignty then there, there is no that, that there is no freedom and sovereignty <laughs> you know? right. it's it's all it's all internal it may it may take a village but it takes villagers first yeah to get on board and organized and then the collective yeah. village can be a, a show of goodness later on i like that so let's let's all just have an internal dialogue of are we free what does it take to be free mind freedom and uh go from there well, anything else you want to share with us here today, Tim? I think we've covered a lot of stuff. I'm going to have fun editing this podcast. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, enjoy. Yeah. Um, anything to add? Uh, no, thank you so much. Thanks for having me on. Um, you know, as as you know, it's the first time I've done anything like this, and uh, it's been enjoyable. So, uh, uh, and that, this may be the first step up towards me doing my own my own little show or something so uh, we'll see how that goes yeah it's, it's it's really fun and as you can see there's there's freedom to talk about anything there's nobody saying oh you shouldn't talk about that you know you are your own editor so yeah just translate that page that you write so well to a vocalization and i think you'll have fun with it i think you'll be excellent at it and one day in the future i hope you'll invite me to be on your podcast <laughs> of course, yeah great <laughs> well thanks again tim foyle author future podcaster and certainly someone who shared a wonderful concept of awakening within to awaken without and help our fellow people, our fellow uh, earthlings to um, find the peace within. And thanks again, Tim, for, for sharing everything. I hope you have a wonderful rest of the day and we'll see you next time. Thanks a lot. All right. Thanks. Uh Thanks again, everybody, for tuning in to today's interview with Mr. Tim Foyle. Do check out his webpage on Substack. The show notes will have all those links that you can contact and read his articles, plus the other links that we've mentioned from some of the resources he shared with us here today. If you'd like to support this podcast, click here. Then you can do so through our new Proton email. It's clickyourpodcast at protonmail.com and you'll submit that through your avenue with PayPal uh, for any kind of a donation to help with the error time. We appreciate you for tuning in and supporting this podcast. We've been consistently now on Podomatic.com in the top five and in the top 500 
overall. So the rankings are in the subcategory and also an overall. And we appreciate all your listeners, your downloads, everything that you do to help us here at the podcast. Stay tuned for the next episode to be announced. And we'll cover a topic I'm sure of interest to you and everyone else. Art Stemmel here saying thank you so much for tuning in today. And we'll see you next time on Click Here. Hearing, not the herd. You're listening to the Click Here podcast. Brought to you by New Airwaves Audio Productions. Mm-hmm.